Um, I'm going to ask everyone, if they would, to open their Bibles to Matthew 6. That's where we're going to be, is Matthew chapter 6, and there is always a Bible app for this sermon. Unless I mess it up, there's always a Bible app for it, and that can be really helpful to you if you open a version Bible app, and if you go to uh, the uh, um, events and look for an event near you, you'll find that, okay? Talking to you about treasure hunting this morning. Um, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, through what Jesus says about king, kingdom life. So let me ask you a question. <clears throat> what is it that makes life worth living? What makes life worth living? And some people would answer that question, friendships. That's a pretty good answer, I would say. Friendship is so important to life. It's a real treasure in life. I have a buddy that I used to get together with for coffee at least once a week in the before times, <laughs> you know. And uh, we haven't been doing that since uh, it's not the before times anymore. And it's kind of funny, this week I said to him, hey, I want to show you what we did with our audio at church, how we cleaned it up. He's a pastor friend. And he said, okay, I'll stop over. I only have a couple minutes. About an hour later, he left. And we weren't just looking at video and audio, we were talking together. Because the friendship that we have as brother and brother in Christ is so valuable to us. It is a treasure. And to some people, that's what makes life worth living. I'm guessing that if I said what makes life worth living and you gave it two seconds thought, many of you would say family. Family makes life worth living, and all of us here probably really value family. I don't know if I told you this before. Have I told you that I have two grandchildren? I have told you that a hundred times, yeah. They live in the Middle East, and I love them. I love family. Have I told you this, that I'm expecting another grandchild in March in Albuquerque? Oh, wow, that's cool too, yeah. Yeah, just so thankful for that. Family. It is a treasure, and many of us would say family really makes life worth living. I think some people would say their career makes life living. And when I said that this morning, there was one person who went, no, she's a little like my dad. My dad hated his job for decades. He saw it as nothing more than a way to pay the bills. And I can remember he had a little spiral notebook that he carried in his pocket. And in there he had things like the mileage between oil changes and stuff like that. But he had started with the number 1,000 and written all the numbers down to zero backwards. And he would cross off how many days he had left to work until he retired. He hated his job, but not everyone feels that way. There are some people who really love their vocation, some people who derive a lot of meaning from it and fulfillment and belonging and identity from it. And those are the people who, when they retire, they go right back to work in a minute, you know? It's like, wow, I, I thought I'd enjoy retirement, but I love my, I love my job. I love my job. I'm one of those people. And it's a treasure. Your career can be something that makes life worth living. But I want you to think for a moment, if you would. All of those things that I just mentioned, they could disappear. I mean, you don't want to think about it. But those things could be gone tomorrow, today. Friends, they can let you down. Family, it can fail you. Any career represented in this room could disappear and no longer be available. And then what makes life living? Or, or beyond that, think of this. All those things that we mentioned, friendship, family, and career, those really come from God. So is it those things that make life worth living or is it him who makes life worth living? Is it the blessing that makes life worth living or is it the blesser? who makes life worth living. Now, my wife told me that's not a word, blesser, but I'm making it up 
Because where do words come from if not for people like me making them up, right? Yeah. Is it the blessing that makes life worth living or is it the one who gives the blessing that should be the treasure? Kind of reminds me of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. We're going to read this half dozen sentences that Jesus says here. And remember, this is in the overall context of a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is giving. Follow along silently as I begin reading in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body. I just read that wrong, didn't I? Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This morning, I want you to be thinking for a little bit about the look of earthly treasure. I really find it difficult to verbalize what Jesus is saying here because he's not talking about money. A hundred years ago, I preached through the gospel of Matthew, it seems, right? A hundred years ago. And I went back and I looked at that sermon again. It was a good sermon, but I did nothing but talk about how Jesus viewed money. And that really isn't the point. I'm a little more mature now than I was a hundred years ago. And I can see things a little more clearly. He uses money as an example when he says at the end, you cannot serve both God and money. He uses it as an application, so to speak. But he's speaking about something much deeper in your soul than money. It would be accurate to say that he's talking about our desires for things like personal honor. Honor that you might get from the way others respect you. He's talking about things like personal fulfillment. Fulfillment that you get from being with others and the way you interact with them. He's talking about things like personal security and a sense of well-being from the way others might respect you or from the way they see you. He's he's talking about the things that we do that, that feed our sense that we need to be somebody. I am somebody because of these things. Things we do to make ourselves feel secure. Things we do to make ourselves feel Vital, that is, important and alive. Things we do in order to be loved. And in the kingdom, he's showing us that we find those a different place than we might think we should look. Remember, these words are just a part of a single sermon, a very large sermon, and they are tied to what he says earlier in this chapter. In fact, if your Bible's open to the passage I ask you to, go back to verse one, and if you don't have your Bible, I'll put it on the screen for you. And in chapter 6, verse 1, listen to what he says. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. He's saying, don't try to get your reason to live from other people. Find it, your treasure, in God. And throughout the chapter, Jesus is giving you several different examples of this. He talks about, Maybe you give money so that others will be impressed. He says that in 
it's verse 2, the very next verse, he says, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets on, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to be honored by others. And then this phrase, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. It is as though Jesus is, is saying, so, huh, you treasure others being impressed by what you're giving. Good. You got it. They're impressed. And that's all you're getting. He goes on later and he talks about praying so that other people are impressed. In verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And then, and then that phrase again, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Okay, you want others to be impressed with how well you can pray? Have at it. They'll be impressed. And you'll get that honor, you'll get that reward, you'll get that treasure. But that's all you're getting. You've received the payment in full. He gives another example. He gives them the Lord's Prayer in the middle of that. And then in 16, he returns to this idea and he says, and when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. And there's the phrase again. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So it's as though Jesus is saying, hmm, you really like it when people give you admiration for your suffering for the kingdom, for your fasting and your deep commitment to the kingdom. That's your treasure when they acknowledge your sacrifice. Okay, if that's what you want, you can have that. You got it. But that's your reward in full. There's nothing more coming. Those are examples that Jesus gives. You've probably seen examples in your own life. I share with you a couple that I've observed. In in my first church, there was a young guy started coming to church and he wanted important position. And some people treasure important position. I can remember we were were in the church together alone for a minute and he said, hey, Pastor Steve, I have a bone to pick with you. (laughs) All right, let's have it. What do you got? He said, I've been coming to this church for a year and no one's ever asked me to be on the board. And I was a young pastor, so I explained to him that board members are chosen in a parliamentary process that's prescribed really by our constitution and bylaws. There's a nominating committee that nominates board members, and then they're elected by the membership of the church. And by the way, you're not a member, so you couldn't even serve on the board. And I feel like I kind of failed him, (laughs) because what I failed to do was speak to his heart. I failed to ask him, what is it about your focus that is so hung up on this that you have a bone to pick with me about it. And I think if he were honest, his answer would have been, well, I'm actually treasuring the honor I'll receive from people if I have that position. It's not the way it works in the kingdom. My young friend was looking for treasure. He was looking in the wrong place. I've seen it as well, and maybe you have, in people who are looking to gain power. One time, a gentleman came to me and said, I'd like you to teach a class on theology. I made reference to Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, a a book that's about this thick. I love that book. I'd made reference to it, and he said, hey, would you teach that, like in a Sunday school or something? I would love to learn about God and his sovereignty and how that interacts with free will and the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'd like to know about the nature of our salvation and how faith and works interact together. I'd like to understand creation. 
I really like that word, systematic theology. I would like a systematic look at what we understand about God. And I was excited. I'm like, wow, I love this hungry heart. This is going to be so good. Yeah, I want to I teach that. But then he said, he said this, and the way he said it, and the look on his face, I could understand what he was saying. He said, in my last church, they never studied theology. Would you teach a course on that? I think I'd really be able to use that. Did you hear that? I think that I'd really be able to use that. And I think maybe it was the Holy Spirit, or maybe just my intuition, or maybe the way he said it, but I could see that he wanted that so that he would have power, so that he would have the answers, so that he would be the guy in the know. (laughs) Make no mistake about it. There are people who use their theological understanding and their biblical knowledge as power so they can be somebody. That's not treasuring God. That's not even treasuring good teaching. That's treasuring power. It's not the way things work in the kingdom. Earthly treasure. I'll give you one more illustration. Trying to belong as a Christian. I just want a place to belong. You know, we try to look very Christian when this is our treasure, but we're doing it for the wrong reason. Maybe... This person attends church regularly. They help out with this project and that project and they listen to others carefully and then they say, I'll be praying for you about that. And they they keep the rules of the Christian subculture that the church tends to be, but they do it so they can belong among Christian friends because Christian friends are pretty neat to have. And privately, they don't spend much time in prayer. Personally, they don't read their Bible or do a Bible study. They They don't walk with Jesus personally very much anyway. They're treasuring what the Christian culture can give them and belonging and being part of that. But they aren't treasuring Christ. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. Earthly treasures. They're not fulfilling. (laughs) They're like counterfeit $3 bills. Not even your grandma would accept that from you. They just don't have any power. And they leave you wanting more. They're like like crackers, mostly carbs, rapidly digesting and leaving you wanting more to eat. And that's why Jesus says three times, no less, that those people have received their reward in full. And once it's gone, there's nothing. They're still longing for something. That's earthly treasure. The look of earthly treasure is not a very good look, but the look of kingdom treasure, that's pretty neat. When Jesus is talking in here about kingdom treasure, he makes several observations that are absolutely worth noting. First, he notes that kingdom treasure is something that cannot be lost. Have you ever heard the expression, that guy loses his head if it wasn't attached, right? Yeah, yeah. I have a pastor friend who's that way. And almost every time I am with him, he loses his keys. No lie, I was with him one time. I mean, it happened all the time. It's like he would say to his wife, do you know where my keys are? Do you know where my keys are? It was like the, the chorus that happened in that house every time we visit. And, and, and we were at his, I think it was his son's wedding rehearsal dinner, it might have been, in the backyard. And it's dark by now. And I'm just sitting there, I'm, you know, drinking some soda pop. And I hear this voice out by the fire in the backyard. Hey, has anybody seen my keys? I thought, yep, that's my buddy right there. He'd lose his head if it wasn't attached, right? My pastor friend. But something he has never lost is the kingdom. Because Jesus says it is something that can't be lost. You may find you're walking a difficult path in life. 
man, I think of people in this church family who have been called upon to navigate some rough terrain in the past several months. 2020, it's been a year to forget, hasn't it, for many of us. Unable to visit loved ones in the nursing home, wondering how they're doing. They have COVID, I can't visit. Unable to go to the hospital when your loved one is in the emergency room, you're waiting in the car because, you know, losing loved ones. And then early on, not even able to have a funeral service and having to do something that felt makeshift early on at the graveside, trying to put the pieces together. Yeah, sometimes you may walk a very difficult path, but in the midst of all that, hear this, the treasure of the kingdom remains. The treasure of the kingdom cannot be destroyed by moth and rust. It cannot be stolen by a thief. It remains. I love the words of Romans 8, where in verse 28, 38 rather, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The treasure of the kingdom remains. It can't be lost. It can't be stolen. It can't be corrupted. It's a treasure that can't be lost. It's a treasure that gives genuine fulfillment, a real sense of fulfillment. So I got permission from Drew to share this story. I want to say that so you're not all like, Drew's going to be mad. He wouldn't be mad. This week, uh, Drew and Doug and Chris and Travis and I uh, did some work on the audio video system here at church. I hope it's working well for you. It worked great in the first service. We've been having all kinds of problems, especially with the sound. In the background of the live stream, you could hear this kind of in the background. It wasn't a pleasant thing to listen to. God bless you if you stayed with us through those times. <laughs> great is your reward in heaven. I would take that technology home with me and I'd take out the bad audio, I'd put in the good audio. But last week we had like this nuclear explosion that happened. And I, 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 I'm telling you, I get in the house, I, walk, I pull in the garage, I get out of the car, I walk straight to my computer, I sit down to that computer and I start. And then I go upstairs while the computer's doing something, I change my clothes, I come down, I sit in front of that computer until Laurel says, you need to come and eat. And then I come and eat real quick and I go back, I sit in front of that computer, I put my... my uh, my laptop and then my notepad there and I watch the Steelers while I'm processing this audio. Last week, I got done at 7.48 p.m. That's a good long day for a very grouchy man by that time of day, right? And then I upload it. It's a two and a half hour upload. So there goes the good, clean audio uploading. And then I get a text from Drew. I think he hates me. Hey, you know what? That's not right. It didn't work right. He doesn't hate me. He just told me it didn't work right. And Drew said, we're going to fix that this week so we don't have to do that anymore. And we came in here, and Doug found the video that showed us how to do it. We worked together. Chris was here. Travis ran the cord. I mean, it was a group effort, and, and it's so good. It's so good. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Afterward, if Drew said it one time, Doug, if he said it one time, how many times did he say it? 20 or 30, right? In the 30 minutes that we're hanging around, once it's fixed, Drew says, I feel so good about what we did. I feel so good about what we did. I did too. 
But I want you to think about this. This is what Drew does for a living. Drew works at, there's some school east of here, I can never think of the name of it. What's it called? St. Penn, Penn State, that's the name of it. I can never think of it. You know, I went to the University of Pittsburgh. We got killed by Notre Dame. I have a pit mask, I'm embarrassed to wear it. Drew works at Penn State University and he works in IT and he goes to classrooms and he fixes the very kind of problem that needed fixed here. He couldn't just do the same thing because we have a whole different system to work with, but he fixes sound with other guys and video with other guys all the time. And I said to him, uh, hey, uh, is this true? That the fulfillment of fixing audio at church far outweighs the fulfillment of fixing audio at work? He said, Absolutely. That is true. That's the way of the kingdom. That is the way of the kingdom. It brings genuine fulfillment. Working in the kingdom, whether you're handing out stuff for trick-or-treaters or whether you're helping put up Christmas trees for the, the uh, train and, and miniature village exhibit or whether you're fixing, you're here at nine o'clock at night fixing audio video at the, on, on a sound system, that brings a fulfillment that this world cannot bring. Now let me say this. Listen, stay with me. Simply being in the kingdom, brings that fulfillment. Even if the audio fails today, the kingdom still brings genuine fulfillment because we are in it through the blood of Christ in his work on the cross. Treasure in the kingdom? (laughs) Great fulfillment. So when we look at the kingdom treasure, we see it cannot be lost. We see it brings genuine fulfillment. And we see as well that it cannot be exhausted That kingdom treasure never runs out. It's like the bottomless cup of coffee, you know? Or or it's like um, Doritos, crunch all you want, we'll make more. Or it's like that endless salad bar or endless food bar. It it just, it it never stops. I don't know if you remember MC Hammer. Do you remember him? Oh, that's so bad, isn't it? Just keeping you awake. Can't touch this. All right. Some of you were kind of dozing there. I wanted to wake you up. I was never a big MC Hammer fan. He didn't sound enough like Leonard Skinner for me, so there's that, right, and the Beatles. But he was pretty popular. You know, he made millions and millions of dollars. His, his story is often featured, uh, what happened to him. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he bought antiques, priceless antiques, and mansions with all this. He spent and spent and spent. And all of a sudden, it came to his recognition that he had spent millions and millions of dollars more than he actually had. And then he filed bankruptcy. And his style of music came and went. And so he couldn't sell any more music. And he was flat broke. You understand, (laughs) that's because millions and millions and millions of dollars is earthly treasure. And earthly treasure, it's like that. It runs out. But kingdom treasure, it never runs out. And Jesus is talking in John chapter 4. And he says this, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again, but whoever drinks, I'm sorry, that's not what he said. Read it again. Everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the water of the earth, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring in them, a spring of water, well enough to eternal life. That is kingdom treasure, and it can never run out. It runs forever. Hmm. See, in the kingdom, we realize that the king alone is the one who gives lasting honor. Honor isn't a bad thing to desire. God made you to want to have that. The question is, where do you seek it? 
And if you're seeking it merely from among men, from among humankind, that's all you'll get. But if you're seeking it from the king, then he will honor you in return. In the kingdom, we seek to do that which honors Christ, and he honors us. Because as Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget the work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Man, every time I think of it, I look so forward to hearing Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all I want in the whole world is to hear those words. That's all the honor I could ever need. I mean, what higher honor could you have than to have the creator and redeemer of the cosmos say, you did good, bud. Well done. Well done. There could be no higher honor than that. We make Christ our treasure because the king alone gives lasting honor. And we make him our treasure because he is the source of light. In fact, the king alone is the light. You know, he talks about your eye being dark or your eye being lit up. And really he's talking about what are you looking at? And if you're looking at things of this world as your treasure, this is a dark world. I mean, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the, the scripture reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And if we're, and, and unless we're part of the kingdom of God, we are undying, undeniably, say it again, unless we are part of the kingdom of God, we are undeniably influenced by that satanic hierarchy, and that is darkness. That is darkness. But when your eye is looking at the things of God, when your treasure is the things of God, then your eye is bright. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes, if what you're looking at is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? That's great, as in terribly great. When you take in darkness, you can't hope to walk in the light. But when you make Christ your treasure, God purges that darkness from your soul. When you're in a dark room and you light a bright light, there is dark, darkness is gone. And when Christ is your treasure, he removes the darkness from your soul and you shine with the light of Christ. We make Christ our treasure because the king alone gives honor, because the king alone is light, and because the king alone is worthy. You don't have to be a religious person to realize that there's something inside of human beings that just drives us to worship. You can go anywhere on the planet, and whatever people group, large or small, you come upon, you will find them worshiping. It doesn't matter if you're in Pennsylvania or California. We have a desire to worship. You could go to Africa. You could go to Israel. You could go to Sudan. You could go to Indonesia. You could go to the Ukraine. You could go to Russia. You could go to Alaska. You could go to South America, Central America, everywhere you go. You could go to one of those little islands in the Pacific, and you're going to find those people are worshiping something because it's just part of who we are as, as human beings. 
And, and everybody you know worships. Sometimes we worship things like our family or we worship things like celebrities or automobiles or a sports team or a style of clothing. A lot of people worship pleasure. Some worship money. We worship, we worship hobbies, political figures. We've all seen people who worship those things. Even when you're talking to an atheist, <laughs> I've encountered some who seem to have a sense of worship concerning the celebrity atheists that wrote that book that they read. Oh, this guy, this guy. And they hold him in a worshipful kind of esteem because, because we all have within us a desire to worship. But unless, unless you're worshiping God, whatever you're worshiping does not deserve your worship. Your children, they're great. Grandchildren, fantastic. They are not worthy of our worship. Your sports team, especially after yesterday, not worthy of my worship. I'm not talking about Penn State. I'm talking about Pitt. I know that was injurious yesterday if you watched that Penn State game. You have my sympathy. Give me some of yours. We lost by like 30-some points. So, Your sports team, not worth your worship. Your favorite pastime, nope. It's not worthy of your worship. Your church, not worthy of your worship. You know, since human beings appear to be incapable of not worshiping something, then we would be wise, and in the kingdom we do this, we worship the one who is deserving of our worship because we know no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do you see he's not talking about money? Do you see that? He's talking about something so much deeper, so much more significant. You cannot worship God and something else. Only the king is worthy of your worship. And he is the treasure that you should pursue. What is it that makes your life worth living? In the kingdom, the answer is the king is the one who makes life worth living. He is the treasure that we're looking for, that we seek. I want to pray that our minds would be set in that direction. Would you unite your heart with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we are so thankful for who you are, period. You are always enough. We worship you. Jesus, we worship you. Spirit, we worship you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Nothing else, no one else deserves your worship. And we trust you, Father. We exalt you. Jesus, we are so thankful for your work on a cross on our behalf. That by your stripes, we are healed. You are worthy, Jesus, because with your blood, you purchased the souls of men and women for God. Thank you for doing that. We worship you. We would ask that you would always remind us when we're worshiping the wrong thing. Tap us on the shoulder or cuff us across the back of the head. Whatever you need to do, Spirit of God. Because we are men and women who will worship something. We choose you, King of kings and Lord of lords, to be our treasure. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.